0: You guys have all heard the Christmas message in Luke, haven't you? Um, what if it's way better than what you ever heard? Isn't that good? So we can go to that first slide whenever whenever you got a chance. All right, so let's read this this Christmas message out of Luke. and how many of you guys know that uh, Jesus and the, and the birth of the baby and, and uh, everything going on is a type in, it's the fulfillment of some type and shadow in the Old Testament, right? says so Judaism was the the foundation of it says bits and pieces that were spoken to the prophets but now he speaks himself so the new testament is written to fulfill all of these old testament prophecies and types and shadows and where it was death in the old testament it brings life in the new testament so they saw through a veil is what it says they didn't see clearly and uh really Christianity, well, let me get into it, and then I'll I'll explain this here in a second. So here's Luke 2, and you've all heard this. Now, they were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to how many people? All people. That's what we were just reading. So any message that you hear about Jesus has to be good tidings and great joy towards us. Does that make sense? Because it says we only love when he first loves us. We cannot love until he, we realize he first loves us. So any message you hear has to be about him towards us and then we respond. Okay? So, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the anointed one is really what Christ means, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And drop down to verse 13. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of a heavenly host, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, shalom, is what they would have said in Hebrew. On earth, shalom, goodwill towards men. All, the, all of this is towards us. It has nothing to do with us to him. It's all towards us. And so it says, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made to, known to us. All right, so if some of you guys saw the email and, and Facebook post I put out, there were hundreds of pastures with sheep. There were hundreds of, of these things. How did they know exactly where to go? It says, the angel just comes and says, this is going to be a sign to you. And why was this such a spectacular sign? I think we've heard it, but we've never heard it, right? Why was it a sign? A sign points to something that they go, aha, I get it, right? It's this way. And so it says, they, this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And then they said, immediately, let's go to Bethlehem to see what this thing has been made known. So they knew exactly where to go. How did they know that? And why was it a sign? It's not a mystery. It was prophesied in the Old Testament and in the Jewish writing. So let's go to this next slide. And so I'm just going to start And there's just to make this short so we don't keep you all night. I'm just going to do a, a couple types and shadows. So Genesis 35, later they set out from Bethel, Bethel's house of God. And while they were still some distance from Ephrata, which that means fruitfulness, Rachel, Rachel means a female lamb. Female lambs give birth to what? Lambs, right? So Rachel began to give birth and her labor was difficult. During her severe labor, the midwife said to her, do not be afraid for you are having another son. And with her last breath, for she was dying, she named him Benoni, which means son of sorrows. <clears throat> But his father called him Benjamin, which is son of my right hand. And you guys know the right hand is always the place of honor, right? And that's why Paul says in the New Testament, I don't care what you think about the devils, demons, etc. He goes, if you, if you must believe all that's real, then please believe you're seated far above in the right hand. Amen? <laughs> There's really not an issue to you if you really understand this. So the right hand, which is why we put our brides on the right, and place of honor is always on the right. He is the son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrata. That is Bethlehem. And there were two Bethlehems. That's why they had the, there's even two Bethlehems today in Israel. So they knew exactly which Bethlehem to go to and exactly what the sign was. And we'll get into that, which is really cool once you get it. So so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrata. So it was Bethlehem Ephrata is where they were going. Jacob set up a pillar on her grave. It marks Rachel's tomb to this day. Now you see a shift. It goes from Jacob to what in verse 21? Israel. Now Israel means the people of God, the believers, right? People who believed. So Israel again set out and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Edir. So Edir, Migdel-Eder, you guys have heard me talk about this. Migdel-Eder is the Tower of the Flock. Migdel-Eder is Hebrew, but it's the Tower of the Flock. Now, we could spend a, six months on this. What's, it, what's all the typology and symbolism in here? But this is really what's going on if you understand it. So this is all a type and shadow, the exact place where Jesus is ultimately going to be born. And if we get it, it says, Here's Rachel. The Jews believed they were married to the law. They actually believed it was a married covenant. And to them, evil, anybody know what evil is? It's not watching scary movies. Anybody know what evil is? Toilsome labor. Exactly right. Having to work for your inheritance. That's evil. Which causes all kinds of crazy stuff. Because if people don't realize they have it, then they scheme in all different ways to get it. But if you have it, you don't lust for it, do you? So if you've been given all things, is there anything to lust for no, you just need to know how to receive it, which is what we're trying to teach everybody. So anyway, so, she's, so Rachel is a female lamb. She's given birth, and the hard labor was difficult. That would be a picture of the law. When she's married to the law, it's hard labor, etc. And is the law going to die? The law is going to die. So when, the la- when, the, when Rachel, the female lamb, gives birth to a lamb, the law is going to die. Amen. You guys getting some of this? So no more hard labor. So, and her last breath, she was dying. She named him Ben-Oni, son of sorrow. Remember in Isaiah 53, it says, we deemed him stricken by God. We thought he was cursed by God, son of sorrows, but what did the Father say about him? It's my great pleasure to give him. He's the son of his right hand. So we thought he was cursed by God, but in actuality, he was the son at the right hand of the Father. Amen? So what's really going on here? is once the, once the lamb was born and the law dies, now it's no Jacob. Jacob, anybody know what Jacob means, the word Jacob? Deception or supplant or, or exchange. So when they were deceived that God, God was this angry God on a mountain that needed blood for sin, is that deception? It's deception. It's, that's, so it's, that's why it's Jacob. And then you see this shift when they realize that Jesus was the son of his right hand, the son of honor, now it switches from Jacob to Israel because Israel is the people of God. Amen? You guys getting this? So when married to the law, there's slavery, there's hard, there's toilsome labor. All the scriptures are really about this transition and revelation that God is not angry like all the other religions. He's not on a mountain somewhere and the only way we can appease him is blood, right? Love is love. love does, does love demand A sacrifice? No, love keeps no record of wrong, is what we see in Paul's famous verse on love in 1 Corinthians 13. So love doesn't demand a sacrifice, love does what? Love forgives. And you're starting to get this. And so this is exactly where Jesus is going to be born, the real Lamb of God, at Migdeli there, the tower. And so the law has been replaced by grace because Jacob means to replace or deceive deception. So when there was, and then you could go into all of the um, all of the typology, Jacob was first married to who? Leah, right? And Leah was a dog, is what it says. She was ugly, right? Because he couldn't see clearly, he married Leah. So he's married to the law, and then he sees clearly, and he's married to Rachel. Amen? You could spend forever on this. I'm not going to do that, because it's not the point of all this. But anyway, so there's no longer sorrows. There's no hard labor. Jesus comes and goes, I'm going to get rid of this idea that you're separate from me, that I'm angry, that somehow I need to be appeased. God never had to be convinced of his love for us. Whose heart need to be convinced? Our heart, which is why it says the blood of Jesus speaks way better things than the blood that was presented before, amen? It says, everybody that comes before me is the thief. What came before him? The law, all the prophets, all the priests. He goes, none of your fathers know me. Abraham doesn't know me. That takes him off, right? Jacob doesn't know me. Nobody knows me. Everybody that tried to get in a different way is a thief, but I'm the true shepherd. Is what he says. And so the law has been replaced by grace. There's no longer sorrow, hard labor. You've been seated in the place in the honor, place of honor in the Son of my hand, worthy to receive. We see this in Revelation. Says the Lamb of God was worthy to receive what? Worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, glory, and praise. So hard labor, all toils, trying to be pleasing to God, trying to be good enough to earn his rewards, has been replaced by Sonship seated at the right hand, you're worthy to receive. because He says, Father, the glory that I've received, I give to who? Every one of us so that will rise in that day when the Spirit is sent. I'm in you, you're in me, and we're one. Amen? Is that cool? Now, what's also really interesting if you look at this is right here at the Tower of the Flock, the Migdela Deer right outside of Bethlehem. If you go look at it, this exact place where um, oh, Boaz marries who? Ruth, was Ruth a Jew? She was a Moabite. It's the exact place. This was the threshing floor where he says, I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff. So, this whole transaction, when, I, when, I, when the son is finally born, when the perfect lamb is finally born, some people are going to be deceived and they're still going to believe of hard labor and toil, the chaff, the wheat, the good fruit, believed and they became Israel. Now, that doesn't mean they're out. That means they were included. They don't get it yet. Does that help you guys? All of this takes place right here. And when you get it, then it's like, wow, the scriptures are beautiful, actually. So, all right. So why, why did they know it was a sign? This is what I really want to get. I think this is cool. If we go to the next slide. And you, some of you guys have seen me do this, but I think it's awesome. So here's Micah. The prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah? So they knew which Bethlehem because there's two Bethlehems. Bethlehem Ephrathah is, is right outside of Jerusalem. Though you're a little among the thousands of Judah. So it's this little tiny... Really, even today, outside of Jerusalem, yet out of out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. So Micah further prophesied the king the kingdom will come at Megiddo there or the tower of the flock. And so I just I don't know if you can read that, but I'll quote. It's Micah four two and it says, "Oh thou tower of the flock, the strong <clears throat> the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion." <clears throat> and when Jesus is crucified, or when he's before the the Sanhedrin and Pontius Pilate, he says. He quotes Psalm 82, and he says, All of the original creation is out of place. I have said you are Elohims, or rulers, or gods, little g's, but you're going to fall like princes and die like men because you don't remember your first dominion. Your first dominion is your sons never separated from love. And he says, Unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion. I'm going to set you back to the original foundation, the redemption. The kingdom shall come to thee, daughter of Jerusalem. That's Micah 4.2. Now, I want to read something to you. Um, this is uh, this is some of you guys know. I, I you don't have to go get this because it's a hard read. But if you if you're really into like old English and is uh, Alfred Edersheim, the life and times of Jesus. So he was a Jewish scholar, born to wealthy parents in the late 1800s, was was schooled in Judaism and the Talmud and the, and the Torah, and then he got a hold of some Scotsmen basically that were teaching him about what it all means. And so he switched to Christianity. But so he's he knows the law. It's just like Paul. He goes, gosh, I get all the symbolism here. So the angels come, and uh, they're, they approach the shepherd in the field, and, and they tell him all this stuff is going on. And they said, this is going to be the sign to you. There's going to be a baby lying in swaddling clothes wrapped in a manger. And immediately knew they where to go. They knew where to go to the Tower of the Flock. So from a Jewish standpoint, listen, let me tell you this. Because most of us believe this, is most of us, uh, as I wrote in my email, at least for me, is I remember growing up and uh, they have a nativity scene and there's this little wooden rickety um, manger, right? Looks like your kids put it together and you're all happy. Oh, that's so awesome. You know, yay. It looks so great. And it's like, this is going to fall apart for you. Let's fix this thing. So, and, and I remember just, I remember the Christmas celebrations and the presents. I'm like, wow, that, all that's cool. But I, I guess I was just a little analytical even as a kid. So I remember going, how does me believing in, it's usually Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, a couple angels, and the wise men. How does that heal my heart? I remember just thinking as a kid, like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, how does that help me? Does anybody ever wonder like that or you just accepted it? I guess what I was just wondering, like, whatever, okay. It uh, you guys are really excited about this. I'm just excited about the presence. I didn't understand the symbolism here. So to a Jew, this means a lot. Now, the Jewish tradition may here, the Jewish tradition here proves both illustrative and helpful. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. That's what was just prophesied. That was subtle conviction. Equally so was the belief that he was to be revealed from Migdeli there, the Tower of the Flock. This Migdeli there was not the watchtower for ordinary flocks, which pastured on the barren sheep ground beyond Jerusalem, but lay close to the town on the road to Jerusalem. <clears throat> A passage in the Mishnah, which is really just the oral traditions written down as, the, as they were getting scattered, all the Jews. The passage in the Mishnah leads to the conclusion that the flocks which pastured here weren't, were all destined for temple sacrifices. And accordingly, the shepherds who watched over them were not ordinary shepherds. The latter were under the ban of rabbinism, and ordinances in, because of their manner of life, which would have rendered strict legal observance unlikely, if not impossible. Meaning, they didn't have to follow all the rules, all the Jewish rules, because they couldn't, because they're out in the fields waiting for the lambs to give birth. The same Mishnik passage also leads us to infer that the flocks lay out all year round, since they are spoken of as in the fields 30 days before the Passover. That's in the month of February, when in Palestine, the average rainfall is nearly the greatest. It was then on that wintry night of the 25th of December, that the shepherds watched the flocks destined for sacrificial services. So all these lambs were born for one purpose, to die as the sacrifice in the temple. The shepherds watched the flocks destined for sacrificial services in the very place consecrated by tradition as that where the Messiah was going to be revealed. Of a sudden came the long-delayed, unthought of announcement. An angel stood before their dazzled eyes while the outstreaming glory of the Lord seemed to enwrap them. As in the mantle of light, surprise, awe, fear, would be hushed into calm and expectancy as from the angel. They heard that what they saw boded not judgment. This is huge. It was not judgment, but ushered into waiting Israel the great joy of good tidings which he brought. The long-promised Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, was born in the city of David, and that they themselves might go and see and recognize him by the humbleness of the circumstances surrounding his nativity. It was this, as if the the attendant angels had only waited the signal. As when the sacrifice was laid on the altar, now he starts bringing in the Jewish symbolism. So when the sacrifice was laid on the altar, the musicians would break forth in three sections with with silver trumpets to proclaim the sacrifice has been accepted. So when when Jesus is born and he's laid in the manger in swaddling clothes, they heard the host of many angels declare, this is the Messiah, the sacrifice is accepted the blast of the priest's silver trumpet. So when the herald angel had spoken, a multitude of heaven's hosts stood forth to him the good tidings. What they sang was but the reflex of what had been announced. Glory to God in the highest, and upon the earth, peace, shalom, and good pleasure. Amen? Is that cool? Now, let me explain this. This is kind of neat, and then I'll, I'll share one other thing. So any of you guys that have grown up around farms, you get this. So the sacrifices that were going to be sacrificed, they had to be inspected for four days to make sure there was no spot, no blemish, no scratch, no bruise, nor anything, right? Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, if you've ever seen a um, a cow or a lamb or a, a lamb or a horse or anything give birth, like we're farm kids, right? As soon as that baby comes out, they almost immediately try to do what? Stand up. And they're are they bumping into everything? Like hard sometimes, aren't they? I know when the last horse that gave birth on our property, I'm like, good Lord, that thing's going to kill itself. It's like banging off the, the gates and everything else. So here's what would happen. These shepherds at the Tower of the Flock, these lambs have to be perfect. So the minute a ewe would give birth, before they could even try to walk, they would wrap them tight in grave clothes, strips of linen, and wrap them tight and lay them in the manger so they would never have a spot, a bruise, or a blemish. And then they would present them to the high priest as the perfect lamb. That's why it was a sign. They said, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger at the Tower of the Flock. And this lamb is what the rest of the world is supposed to feed on. Does that help you guys? That's why it was awesome to them. It's like, oh, my God, this was heaven's perfect lamb. Amen? You guys get it? All right. So this is kind of funny, too, because if anybody ever been on a tour in Israel? I remember Joe and, uh, uh, Joe and Jill. Joe and Jill, they, they had just told me because they had heard me talk about this. So they went on their typical tour, and, and uh, the Jews are good businessmen. You guys know that, right? So they, they're like, they love Christians because they're, they're good business. So we could go over there, and millions of people want to tour the land all the time. And so they would take them in a bus, and they'd go, Hey, this is where the Messiah was born. And they got this structure, and you got to pay to get in and everything else. And so Joe just goes, um, Hey, uh, I know this isn't really where he was born. Because he was born at Migdel Adair. He goes, where's Migdel Adair? And he said, the, the Jewish tour guide's face just got white. And he goes, how'd you know that? <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> it's okay if you want to go believe that's where it's at. But it's not. In, it's outside. It's, uh, it's in the Tower of the Flock. It looks something like that. That tower where it's watching over the lambs. Isn't that cool? So if you want to believe that, that's fine. As a man thinks so is he, right? Anyway, that's not where it's at. It was actually out in the field. He didn't, it wasn't, uh, Guys, you know why there's no room in the inn? You guys know, if you go look at it, that was literally his, his, uh, the lineage, that was actually his property, if you go look at it, Jesus and Mary, Joseph and Mary's property. But the census going on was you had to be, go back to your father's house, where you were born, the father's house. But he was born from above. Because my birth is spiritual birth, so I'm not going to go back to my father's house. I'll go back to the city outside. There's so many. Things. We could spend hours on this stuff. There's so many cool things. I'm just trying to correct a lot of the nonsense that you heard, right? We sing about it, and we sing, yay, and, uh, but it's actually wrong. So, <laughs> all right, let's go to this next slide. This is What's that? That is actually a manger. The mangers were actually carved out of stone. They weren't these rickety little... Wooden things that you, that you can go buy at Home Depot, half price right now, right? We just, bought, we just bought a, what did we just buy? A blow up Santa or something, right? Anyway, now, this is what I want you to get. So, this was the sign, this was the, the tidings of great joy, etc. Now, all of the other religions, and Judaism was heavily influenced by the Middle East they have God as outside of man, and they have God as very angry. And the only way you can appease this God is is through what? Sacrifice, and typically the firstborn. And so, even if we go back and look at the Old Testament accounts, at the time, Abram was sacrificing children. He was sacrificing children to the moon gods. And so you see this narrative start to be introduced in the Old Testament where he's using Abram's language, where he understands it. He, the Lord pro- approaches Abram and he says, listen, if you go look at it, he says, hey, come meet me on the mountain in three days, right? And bring your son. So if, you, if you're used to sacrificing, what do you think he wants from you? He wants my son, right? And the only way you can appease God is to give him your son. He's so angry, somehow he needs blood. That's what most of you guys are taught. And even there in that narrative, God says to him, he says, I don't want your son. If you are so angry and you think that I'm like all the other gods, I'm going to do something for you. The Lord himself will become the sacrifice. He flips it 180 degrees, guys. He goes, I don't need blood. Your heart needs blood. Your heart needs to be sprinkled so you have no more consciousness of ever thinking that I'm angry, that I'm nothing but love. Once you get it, that he laid down his life, he became, the only reason he was born, just like these sacrificial lambs, was to die to prove to us that even us, humanity killing him, even then, as he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. I don't need blood. They don't know what they do. That's the blood that's supposed to cleanse your heart and have no more consciousness of sin. And Paul has this great revelation. He says, poverty, sickness, and to the final conclusion, he goes, I realize that even death, I'm still victorious because I'm gonna experience life out of death. He's proven to me once and for all that nothing can separate us from love. That is the message of the lamb, heaven's perfect lamb we're supposed to feed on. Amen? You guys getting that? So he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's presented to the high priest later on. They said, we cannot find no flaw in this. And he's sacrificed. Amen? But he only died. He was only dead for how long? Three days. And then he comes and he goes, hey, don't fear, guys. All that's left is life and life more abundantly. Amen? So even if you experience death, what happens? You enter into life. He's conquered everything. Isn't that cool? That's cool. So anyway, I just love that. It's like you can tell him it's a a stone thing. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes as presented as the real food. Bethlehem means house of bread. That's the food for all humanity to, to feed on that. He's perfect love. He came to demonstrate love to our heart, not this evil sacrifice that most of us have been taught. Amen? Does that help you? If us killing the Messiah still couldn't upset him, what more could you ever do to convince him of his love? He says, no greater love than this is to lay down my life for my bride. Amen? That's a better message, isn't it? That's a way better message. All right, let's get get this last slide. So anyway, as we feed on his love for us as the lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes destined for sacrifice. God didn't demand a sacrifice, guys. Even if you read scripture, he, he tells us in the Psalms and Moses, he says, Moses, the sacrifice was your idea. I didn't come up with it. I wanted sonship from the beginning. Amen? But the foundation was out of place. So as we feed on his love for us, what the true lamb was all about, wrapped in swaddling clothes, destined for sacrifice, it reminds us we're forever loved. It was a message of love. He goes, I came to give you life and life more, exp- exp- <clears throat> life more abundantly. In John, he says, listen, I didn't come to judge the world. What did he do? So do it, is what he says. I came to heal it. It's really heal. That word salvation is heal. It means heal, provide abundance, provide healing, provide health, provide protection. I came to do that, but I don't think you can get it if you still have an angry God demanding blood for sin. I think you still, it's hard to trust that God, isn't it? That lots of people go, how can you trust that God? I go, in reality, you can't. They're always gonna have this anger. There's always gonna have this doubt. When you realize that the only reason he was born was to die for us, to prove to us that as we kill him, even that can't separate us from perfect love. That's the blood that's supposed to cleanse your conscience. It says once you get that, that blood is supposed to, you're not supposed to have any more consciousness of sin, which is not behavior. Sin was the consciousness of of anything less than what God thinks of me and anything less than we think of him as perfect love all the time. Amen. Once you get that, now the blood actually heals. It makes you whole. I'll go, oh my gosh, he makes even my mistakes to prosper. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Was that a pretty big mistake? We killed the Messiah? Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate mistake, right? And that's, what it, that's the blood. That's, he says the blood of Jesus speaks way better things. But I didn't get it because I was taught by pastors and preachers in Western. This is early, early church. This is what they taught. They're like, oh my gosh, let's go tell the whole world that God's in us, the anointing's in us, and he loves every human being on the planet, and nothing could ever separate us from his love. What a great message, amen? Whew. You tell that to an evangelical today, man, that nags come out. So, trust me, I know. <laughs> so, all other religious gods demand a sacrifice. He tells Abram, if you really need a sacrifice, the Lord himself will let you sacrifice me. I'm going to switch at 180 degrees, Abram, to prove to you I'm not like the gods that you think I am. I'm perfect love and you're birthed from me. Get it? All the other religious gods demand a sacrifice. He lets us sacrifice him to appease our heart and demonstrate his love for us. As we feed on this lamb, as we feed on that thought that he's nothing but love for us. His blood should cleanse our conscience of sin, which means to think of ourselves as anything but, but loved sons and daughters. So God so loved the creation, he gave his only son. He so loved the creation is why the son was present, right? Not to appease the father that he's so mad that he can't look at sin. He's like, my people are so far from my original design. I'm gonna prove to them the only way I know how. The only way that I think they'll get it is I'll let them kill me because they understand sacrifice. So I'll become the sacrifice. Cool? He's not angry at you. Never been angry at you. I was kind of taught this theology. I was really angry at us. Thank God for Jesus, because he hit him over the head. Now I'm safe. (laughs) That doesn't heal the heart, guys. That does not heal the heart. This heals the heart. So God so loved creation, he gave his only son. If he did not spare it, this is what Paul says. If he did not spare his son, he goes, I'm going to prove to you the only way I know how, the ultimate proof that I'm nothing but pure love and forgiveness. If I didn't spare my son, Paul says, how will he not freely give us how many things? all things. So this toilsome hard labor, Rachel was married to the law. When she gives birth to the true lamb, the toilsome labor goes away. So the son of sorrows goes away, and we become the son of his right hand, Benjamin. Amen? The law dies, and grace comes. We go from Jacob, which was deception, to Israel. Now we believe who God really is and who I really am. And then if we read in Revelation, Revelation 5.11, it's the Revelation song. You hear Gary Job really made it famous. So worthy is the lamb. This lamb that was born was slain to receive power, to receive wealth, to receive wisdom, to receive strength, to receive honor, glory, and praise. Do we believe that? Now, here's the hard hard part to believe. Jesus says, if you're in me and all creation's in me. God was in Christ reconciling the entire creation to himself. He says, the same glory that you've given me, Father, I've given to you. You, and you're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. So here is the whole message of the love. Why the lamb? Why everything's going on? This is the, the bread of life that heals every heart. You're worthy. Sometimes we don't feel worthy, do we? We mess up every now and then. And he goes, I keep no record of wrong. You're worthy to receive everything here, to receive power, to receive wealth, to receive wisdom, to receive strength, honor, glory, and praise. Any other Christus message is not the real Christus message. That's the real Christus message. Amen? Good? All right, you can get to your feet. Is that good? Ah, uh, Does it make a little more sense? Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, this is what it means. It says, in that day when I send my spirit of sonship, you're going to realize you're not a servant. You're not outside the house. He goes, go within the house. Go within. Every, the kingdom's within. Their sons and daughters, they're perfectly loved and they always have been. I can't show any other way than to prove even in their greatest mistake, we we thought he was stricken by God. We thought he was cursed by God. But it was God's great pleasure to give us the lamb, is what it says, to prove to us who he is, that even killing the Messiah couldn't separate us from love. And even death has been overcome by life. As when we step out of this, this life, we enter into perfect life we in the hands of him. We just declare life to every situation. So Father, we just thank you that everybody here is worthy to receive everything that the Messiah was worthy to receive because we were in him, seated at the right hand of the Father, far above every other principle, every other thing that was taught, they're worthy to receive. So Father, I thank you for just doing miraculous things in their lives that he'll always provide for every need you have. He'll heal any sickness you ever have. He'll restore any relationship you need. He's pure love, and he's only forgiveness. He's heaven's perfect lamb. In Jesus' magnificent name, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah? Oh, yeah, Mike. So if you want to give, you can give online. And let me just share something about that real quick. You can give as you go out or right here. Is If you go read 2 Corinthians 9, you guys know what a superlative is? Maybe I should read it. A super- superlative is, what's a, good, how to, what's a good way to describe it? My girl's good at English. What's a good way to just, it's like over the top expression. Like I can't express it any better way. So I'm going to use all these different ways. It's like, so let me just read. This is giving in the kingdom. God so loved the world he gave. Somehow we've gotten this gospel backwards that perfect love. He needs to receive something from us. Amen. That he demands a sacrifice. And scripture clearly says, no, Moses, that was your idea. I don't like, I hate sacrifice. That's not what I did. I'm going to prove to you. I don't demand. Love doesn't demand. Love gives. God so loved the world he gave. You got something, bud? No? David? No? Okay. I thought you'd come up here like you were going to share something good. You want to say something? Oh, to me? Not to all these guys? That's private. <laughs> all right. Sorry. My, my goofy map test was going on. Let me just read this. Once you get this. Is he of perfect love? He's perfect love. He's in and through and holds the whole universe together is what it says, doesn't it? And that's what I love about quantum physics. They go, you know what? We're all connected by this thing. We don't know, but it operates in gratitude and love. Every human being is connected and he's love and he's everywhere. Now they call it the universe and everything else really doesn't matter. But here's 2 Corinthians 9. So when you give, here's Paul. So here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. Here's Here's why giving works, guys. Love is responsive, isn't it? like When we feel love, what's our natural tendency? Just to express it back, right? So we're, we're celebrating this, this great Christmas gift that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. He goes, "I love you so much, I can't stand the fact that you think I'm angry. I'm going to prove to you once and for all that I'm perfect love. So I gave my son. What else can I give? He owns everything, right? And so love gives, and then Paul's telling us in second Corinthians nine, he says, "Every man, according has he purposed in his heart." Let him give, not grudgingly or because God needs it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And then here's Paul's superlatives. Here's what giving does. And I want you to get this. And God makes all grace abound to you that you always having all in all things superabounds in every work to you. So you always have enough for yourself and to give. Amen? That's given in the New Testament. Isn't that good? He tries to give you as many superlatives as he can. So he doesn't need anything. So Father, we thank you for the gifts. We thank you for your support in this ministry. Father, we thank you that this, that these people have a revelation as they give into perfect love. Love responds. You can be no other way. You're everywhere and in everything. And you respond. You make all grace abound to every one of these people. This is how you take care of your body so that they have enough for themselves and everybody else. That's a mystery of the seed. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. So you can give on the way out or here.